Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Crossway Church, and to all those watching online, thank you for joining us today. If you will turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. Have you ever experienced pain that you could not get rid of no matter how hard you or anyone else tried? Just after my 19th birthday, I found myself in extremely painful circumstances. Starting around Christmas Eve of 1992, I began experiencing pain in my left foot. It began swelling and turning red, causing me to limp. And over the next week, the pain became overcame normal painkillers, and then did the same with the doctor's prescribed pain medication. Eventually, there was only constant pain. And of course, the pain kept getting worse. And you can imagine how I felt with after a week of that, my parents announced to me, get, get your stuff ready, we're going to the emergency room. All I needed to do was hold on for just a little bit longer and the pain would be controlled. And upon arrival, the hospital staff took one look at my foot and they promptly gave me stronger pain medication and admitted me into an isolation room. And what a relief when the new painkiller started to work and the pain began to subside. But I tell you, within four short hours, the pain came roaring back in the middle of the night and I began begging the nurses and the doctoral staff, please give me more pain medication. And the answer was no, 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 and no. My disappointment and desperation reached an all-time high, and I felt hopeless. God was showing me something important, something that he shows us periodically in our own lives, in our own circumstances, through pain and through other things and events that take place in our lives. He was showing me that I had put my hope in a false savior. And that hope, that false savior, let me down. I'm using the term false savior to mean this. Anything or anyone I place my hope in more than in God to meet a need. And this can take place in any of our lives for a short period of time or for a long period of time. It can involve a need or it can involve a desire, either one, including the good ones, the ones that God would want to give us or has given us, such as pursuing a better paying career through a college degree or education. That's not a, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. We can seek to pursue uh, marrying a godly spouse. That's, that's something godly and good for us to pursue. We can purchase a more reliable car. That's great. That's good. When we're sick, we can go to the doctor. That's important. These are all good things. But the problem arises, folks, when we put our hope in any of those more than God. That's a problem. And God in his love and in his kindness and in his patience and in his mercy and in his grace, he will not let that stand. 
He will confront us. He will convict us. And he will call us to repentance. Today, through this passage, God will be calling us to reject false saviors, to fully embrace the son of promise. We're going to walk through today's text in three parts. Here's the first one. The son of promise is born. The son of promise is born. Genesis 21, 1 through 7. Let me read it for you. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah was 90 years old. 90 years old. Her body was no longer capable of becoming pregnant. How on earth did this happen? We're going to slow down and look at verse 1 a little more carefully, like using a magnifying glass. God did a miracle in Sarah's body. That's how it happened. God did a miracle in Sarah's body. Verse 1 says, And the Lord did to Sarah, as he had promised. He did this miracle by his power. That's how he did it. And we learn here that nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And that means that there is no need that you or I can ever or will ever face that is beyond God's power to take care of. We also learn in verse 1 that the Lord visited her as he had said. God did this miracle personally. Our God, your God, my God is personally interested in you and in me. He is personally working in your life and in mine to accomplish his promises. He is never far away, even though it may feel like it in the midst of those painful, scary times that life tends to throw at us here and there. He is aware of every single one of your needs. Verse 1 also says that the Lord visited her as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And so this miracle took place in Sarah's body according to God's word. We can be sure that God will fulfill every promise that he has made in his word, every single one. Not one is forgotten, not one can be forgotten. Nor shall a single one remain unfulfilled when all is said and done and time is no more. God will fulfill every single promise he has made in his word to you and to me. But he will do this 
in his perfect time. Verse 2 states that Sarah bore Abraham a son in his old age at, right, at the time of which God had spoken. I remember a dear biblical history professor of mine named Dr. Lehman back in college years ago. He repeated often in his lectures as he was, he was teaching us through the Progress of Redemption course. Young people, God is not in a hurry. He grows things. That's how he would say it. Young people, God is not in a hurry. He grows things. And this is true. God is not in a hurry. There are times I wished he was. But he grows things. He will fulfill every promise he has made to you in his perfect time. Not ours, not mine, not yours. But there's another thing that God did here before verse 1. That is even greater than the miracle he did in Sarah's body. God did a miracle in Sarah's soul. Hebrews verse 11, chapter 11, verse 11 says this, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. This means it happened beforehand. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And this ought to surprise us. The last we know of Sarah's attitude toward the prophesied birth of her son with with Abraham was that she laughed. And it wasn't a good kind of laughter because God called her out on it and she denied even laughing. She was ashamed of it. How did she then become filled with faith for that very thing to happen in just a short period of time? Pastor Pete preached on that last week. In between, God had providentially directed her life to where she found herself in a painful and scary circumstance. And she witnessed God personally protecting her by his power from being sexually touched. He kept that king from touching her. She witnessed as God closed the wombs, not of one woman in the harem, but every single one of those women. The wombs were shut. Talk about bringing God's power close to home when she's struggling with barrenness and God has closed her womb. And then she witnessed God answer Abraham's prayer to open those same wombs. And God did. God was confronting her unbelief and she repented. That is a miracle. More powerful than God doing something in your body or mind that doesn't require us to give permission. Not that she gave him permission to draw her to belief in that sense. She wouldn't have chosen to go into those circumstances, but God knew exactly what he was doing. 
We ought to be in awe of God's miraculous power on display and his gracious work in Sarah's heart to believe, to have faith in him, not just in Abraham, but he was doing the same in Abraham's wife, Sarah, throughout the process. Pastor Steve defined faith this way. Faith is taking God at his word and using his word as the authoritative interpretation of our lives. Two weeks ago, we preached that. And this is what God did in Sarah's heart. This is how she responded when God confronted her. She took God at his word. And her arms soon held the son of promise. The baby was given the name Isaac, which means laughter. And how merciful and gracious of God to fill Sarah's life with a child by that name. Isaac would be a constant reminder to her of God's grace and his power at work, not only in her body, but in her soul. His forgiveness and his compassion and his faithfulness to her. And his plan would produce continuous reasons for joy, not only in her life, but in all of our lives. Because what was going on was bringing about the birth eventually of Jesus Christ. And her story would be used to challenge the virgin to believe that nothing is impossible with God. And she believed, and she soon held the son of promise. Another reason for great joy. I do think this is funny that right after calling him laughter, they, the, the scripture talks about him being circumcised. He's not laughing during the circumcision and immediately after. The baby Isaac is the first infant recorded in scripture to be circumcised on the eighth day. Just as God commanded. Now why would God instruct circumcision during infancy? Here are a few reasons, and it doesn't, shouldn't surprise us that, of course, they connect to the gospel. An infant cannot choose to be circumcised. And so circumcision is a picture of God choosing to bring us into a covenant relationship with himself. God chose us to be his children before we ever chose him as our Lord and Savior. Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he, the Father, chose us in him, Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Another reason is that an infant cannot circumcise himself, and if he could choose to do so, he wouldn't. Circumcision is a picture of God bringing us into a covenant relationship with himself. God did for us right? God did for us through his promised son what we could not do for ourselves, and that son chose it. He chose the cross out of love for you and me and out of giving glory to God the Father. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. It's of God, not of us. And this ought to greatly encourage us this morning because we are brought into a covenant relationship with God by his choice and through his power, not our own. And thus, that covenant will never and can never be revoked. 
When, when we're talking about false saviors that we pursue and we choose and we place faith in for a period of time as Christians, we are never talking about the loss of salvation. That is an impossibility. What we are talking about, however, is restoration of fellowship and intimacy with God. And this, when there's repentance and we return to the Lord and we seek the Lord uh, as our hope and, and, as our, and, and fully embracing Him the way that we ought to do, is it any wonder that there's overflowing joy? Is there any wonder that there's spiritual fruit from the Holy Spirit that just grows exponentially? And that's taking place in Abraham and Sarah's life. Her heart is overflowing with joy as she repeatedly laughs and says to those who hear of God's miracle in her life that when you hear it, you're going to laugh too. It's another testimony of God's power at work, how he took that symbol of cynicism, he, the, the uh, sinful choices that she had been making in her life were not barren. They were bearing fruit while she was physically barren she was not spiritually barren. She was growing the fruit of cynicism and unbelief in her life. She laughed even at God's word while he was sitting in the room next to her. But now that barrenness, which had brought so much pain for decades, had now become part of her glorious testimony to God's power and faithfulness that still challenges us and encourages us to believe that nothing is impossible with God, even today, thousands of years later in this auditorium. God is rich in grace. And there's a joy that comes to us in these moments, not just from the fulfillment of God's promises. Get that. When we're in the midst of our need, we can still be being over, filled to overflowing with joy because there's a joy that comes from anticipation. God brought to pass this miraculous birth through Sarah by his power personally, according to his word, in his time and through faith. And this reminds us of the virgin mother of Jesus Christ and her story and her testimony. And she too sang with joy. We are to reject false saviors to fully embrace the son of promise. But all is not well in Abraham's immediate family. There's another son who for 13 years was the only heir. How would he respond to this miracle baby, right? This son of promise. Genesis 21, 8 through 14. Let's read the second part of our story today. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. 
So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. At first reading, this part of the story seems unfair in many ways. Ishmael is only a teenager and he appears to have committed the crime of laughing at a sibling. Hagar is to be judged with him Sarah sees it and she overreacts in mother bear mode. Abraham obviously for for obvious reasons is displeased with Sarah's solution on account of his son. But then God speaks, hallelujah, but then sides with Sarah. Abraham obeys as soon as possible by sending Hagar and Ishmael, but he only gives them a little bit of bread and a small skin of water. The issue of fairness, you you hear it come up in our culture over and over. It is one of those driving forces of our media and educational systems. Fairness, fairness, fairness. We need fairness. And if necessary, we must enforce it. And it resonates with us to some degree. How many times have we heard, that's not fair, as parents, or even thought them ourselves? It seems right on a human surfacey level of thinking that everyone should be treated equally by each person receiving the same skills and the same opportunities for personal benefit. And we often go a step further in our hearts by demanding, demanding fairness from God, family members, friends, coworkers, and government officials. But fairness also includes judgment. And so we must ask, whose perspective determines what is and is not fair? Of course, those who reject God and his word offer their own perspective as authoritative, and so they judge God's actions in life and in history and in his word. In their perspective, they would have Ishmael and Isaac be born at the same time, receive the same training, be blessed with the same skills, be given an equal chance to earn the right to be Abraham's heir or to at least earn their own portion of the inheritance based on some unbiased, inclusive, non-discriminatory series of tests. But using human understanding of fairness to judge God and his word leads to a dead end. I remember sharing the gospel some years ago with a gentleman who was polite. He was not everyone you try to share the gospel with is polite. And he was was listening to me. And not everyone lets you finish. And he let me finish. And then this is what he said. He did not think it was fair for Jesus to be punished for his sins. He thought it was only right for him to pay for his own sins. And he would not be persuaded to trust in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, even though I reminded him that the punishment he was so willing to take upon himself in the the name of fairness was eternal. And that Jesus had already done all that was necessary. This is where human fairness leads. A warped sense of justice that leaves no room for forgiveness, no place for grace, no possibility of mercy, and thus it ultimately rejects God's offer of salvation. Now, of course, if God were to operate this way, there would be no salvation. Everyone would get what they deserve from him. There would be no plan or provision for forgiveness, grace, or mercy, and we would all be eternally condemned without any hope of eternal life. Now I hope after I read this next paragraph, you guys are going to give an amen. 
praise God that he simply does not operate according to a human warped understanding of fairness. Instead, God is fair at all times, but the difference is that his fairness is holy. It includes righteousness, it includes justice, it includes love, and it includes grace and mercy and forgiveness. Thank you. So we have great reason to celebrate throughout our lives in this age because God's fairness is in accordance with his character. Just as Abraham and Sarah did when Isaac was weaned. Being weaned means that the child, the infant had grown to a point where it was no longer drinking, the the baby was no longer drinking the mother's milk. Two to three years was the general time frame. Praise God, it didn't last that long for Karen and me. I'm telling you, there are some who took five years. I, I read in the commentary, and I was like, oh my, my goodness. But it is a big deal in the life of the child. It means that they are growing. God is growing them. It means that that the baby Isaac was now a toddler and he would transfer from primarily being around his mother and under her training to be under the training of the men. And he would be learning from Abraham and he would be learning from the men of the tribe all that is necessary to be a future leader, to be a future provider. But Ishmael, he was already there. He was 15, 16 years of age He was circumcised when he was 13, somewhere around there. He's in the process for 10 years of being trained. And his body is much larger and stronger. He knows more than Isaac about all areas of life. And he's simply not impressed. And so he laughs. But Sarah sees him laughing. And it seems like maybe laughing as a teenager would be something that's not such a big deal. But Galatians chapter 4 verse 29, the apostle Paul shows us different. He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. Ishmael was not, it's not just a harmless laughter. It was persecution. And remember what God had prophesied about Ishmael and his character. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. Genesis 16, 17. And Isaac is a picture of God's covenant people. And he's a picture of Jesus Christ And that's the attitude that Ishmael has toward those. As such, God's chosen son was under threat. We're not talking about fairness here. Now we're talking about real and present danger. So Sarah's solution is to cast him out. She may not have understood all the nuances of the danger, but she she understood the gist. Her son Isaac was being threatened. And she doesn't waste any words. Cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. She's going after Ishmael and his mother, removing them from being a threat and that they would not get a single thing of the inheritance. How's Abraham going to respond? It's logical that he responds being very displeased because he has a son. Ishmael is his son. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why he would have been very displeased about casting him out of the house. He loved him. When God spoke to Abraham about Isaac being the one that would be the the son through Sarah, he already had Ishmael and he said, God, please, please accept Ishmael. 
That was his response. Please accept Ishmael. He loved him. Childhood was dangerous, not just infancy. So it would be a good idea to have a second son around just in case. Or perhaps his protection. I mean, he's a wild donkey of a man. He's good at fighting. He's good to have on your side. Or maybe it's guilt. Because Sarah wasn't the only one who sinned when she didn't trust God and relied upon the flesh to try to fulfill God's promises. Abraham did as well. There's more going on in Abraham's heart than these things. Abraham was clinging to Ishmael, refusing to cast him out, even though he knew that Isaac was the son of promise, and even though he knew that it was a real danger to Isaac to keep Ishmael around. So Abraham and Sarah had come to an impasse. Something wrong is going on in Abraham's heart. He's clinging to the son of the flesh rather than fully embracing the son of promise. He's not wanting to let him go. But God, in verse 12. Those must be among the best words that we could ever read in Scripture as God's children. They speak to the fact that God knows what is going on. He knows what's going on in our hearts. He knows what's going on in our relationships. He knows what's going on in our homes. He knows what's going on in our lives. And he's going to do something about it if not already having done so. So these words, but God, convey hope to God's children, but they convey judgment to God's enemies. But God, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's just an example of one of the other but gods in Scripture. And what a beautiful one it is. Our problems are not bigger than God's plan. Our struggles and even our sin cannot thwart God's purposes. God's providentially in control, and his providential control encompasses every nook and cranny of our entire existence. So while Abraham's wringing his hands wondering what to do, God's not doing that at all. God's clinging to sin in his heart. And that's why he, the root of why he's very displeased. And that fruit in his own heart, if you, will, if you will see it, was bearing fruit in his family. He and his wife Sarah were at odds and they were at an impasse and there, there wasn't any solution in sight. His son, one son, was threatening the other. Real and present danger and he was doing nothing about it. The sin of placing his hope in something or someone other than God was bearing gross fruit. But God, in his grace and mercy, would not let it be. And so he came and he spoke to Abraham. Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. And here we are, God starting off with something that's unusual. <clears throat> Be not displeased. It's dealing with Abraham's emotions. And we tend to think of emotion as something that comes and we don't have control over. But God's treating it differently. He's saying, Abraham, your emotions are out of whack. Abraham, there's something going on in the root of your heart 
And you need to repent of those emotions and you need to bring those under my spirit's control. Be not displeased. That's how God starts off. And then he affirms Sarah. Sarah was seeing things rightly and speaking right things in this situation because she was in line with God's revealed will. God had spoken, and she knew it, and Abraham knew it. Problem was, Abraham was clinging to something different, and Sarah was in submission. And so she, as his helpmeet, spoke the truth of God's word and was not backing down. She was standing firm upon God's word. Don't miss that. That's why she was right. That's why she was right. She's not right because she feels right. She's not right because her argument is so persuasive. She's right because she is agreeing with God. God had been speaking to Abraham regarding a son of promise, and he had been revealing to Abraham a glorious covenant over the years, those two things. And the two were interwoven, not separate. If you want to be truly helpful to others, spouses, children, job, friends, co-workers. Speak truth. Speak the truth of God's word to them. Align your thinking with God's revealed will. And God is not without compassion toward Abraham in the midst of this. He comforts Abraham regarding his beloved Ishmael. God tells him that he would bless Ishmael and Ishmael would also become a great nation. Those are words of comfort and encouragement. So Abraham had been told by God to let go of his false savior, the one he had grown to put his hope in and was struggling to release. And actually even using the word that's a little stronger, he was refusing to release. How would Abraham respond? Well, typical Abraham, he rose early. He rose early in the morning. He took bread and a skin of water and put them on Hagar's shoulder. The boy was given to her and they were sent away. Abraham repented. Abraham believed God. Abraham submitted to God's word and he obeyed at the first appropriate opportunity. It took faith on Abraham's part to do this, by the way. He didn't do so in the middle of the night when it would have been less safe for Hagar and Ishmael to walk out into the desert, so he was also doing so with wisdom and and forethought. But he did so early in the morning before the sun had gotten dangerously hot. Might I add, before he had a chance to change his mind. That's the way it is with us when we're wrestling with something and God is saying, no, you need to let that go. When there's repentance, do it quick. When you have the first opportunity, don't wait because our hearts tend to cling, tend to come back, grab it, pull it back. So obey right away when God gives you those opportunities. God's instructions are clear to us as they were clear to Abraham. Reject false saviors to fully embrace the son of promise. Unfortunately for Hagar and Ishmael, something went wrong. We don't know exactly what or why. But they wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And wandering in the desert is not a good thing. It's not good. 
But we're going to see something else on display in this third portion, and that is God's mercy. We're going to see God's mercy displayed. Verses 15 through 21. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. God's mercy is on display. And we as God's people need to take great comfort from this portion of the scripture and the story as well. For we have many unbelieving family and friends, people that we care about, just as Abraham cared about Ishmael. Here we see that Ishmael, he's an unbeliever. He receives temporary mercy from God. Notice that God never uses Ishmael's name, not once. He is called the son of Hagar the Egyptian. He's called her son. He's called the son of the slave woman, the child, and the boy. But his name, Ishmael, which means God hears, is never used. It's alluded to when God said to Hagar that he heard the voice of the boy. And God knows his name because he's God but also because God named him. So why would God use Sarah's name, Hagar's name? He would speak with Abraham and he would speak with Hagar, but never Ishmael. Consider again the prophecy about him. He would be like a wild donkey of a man, uncontrollable. He he would be a fighter who's against everyone. He's not a man of peace. He became an expert with a bow, which is ominous when you put the prophecies about him together with becoming an expert with the bow. And he married an Egyptian woman as his wife. His wife would have been raised to worship the many false Egyptian deities. Remember also that Ishmael was raised in Abraham's home. He was taught about God. He watched his father walk with God. He was circumcised at 13 years of age. He witnessed God perform a miracle through Sarah. But Ishmael was not a man that valued the things of God. Simply put. His name means God hears, but he was a young man who was spiritually deaf. He valued physical strength, earthly inheritance, payback, and the skills of war, but not peace, love, forgiveness, faith, or an eternal inheritance. Ishmael had no room in his life for God, let alone his brother Isaac. Ishmael was placing his hope in himself and in the things of this world, and not a lick in God. It is appropriate then that he was cast out of Abraham's family. 
removing his spiritual and his physical threat to Isaac, God's son of promise. It makes sense that he would immediately wander in the desert and that his rebellion against God's plan and God's salvation would lead to his facing death, a death that he had no power to escape. It all makes sense. Even in his crying out in the moment of his death, we are not told that a single word about repentance or a request for forgiveness. No faith, none of that. But what does he receive from God? He receives mercy. He receives mercy. God is withholding the punishment that he deserved. He speaks to his mother and shows her water to save his life. God strengthens him and was with him to help him become an expert with the bow. God was fulfilling his promise to Abraham and was overflowing with mercy toward Ishmael. Ishmael was not getting what he deserved right away. God was being patient with him. And aren't you glad when we think about God's mercy toward the lost? How many of us have siblings and close friends who have grown up in the church but have rejected Christ as their Savior? How many of us have coworkers that we love but do not know God? Aren't you glad that God is being merciful to them? There would come another day in Ishmael's life. Another day when he faced death and this death he could not escape. Perhaps at that moment he remembered what his father had taught him and modeled for him years before. We don't know. We don't know if he ever repented. We're not told. What we do know is this. If Ishmael ever let go of his false saviors and cried out to God for salvation, if he did, we know what he would have received from God. And that's forgiveness. Because God hears. God is merciful to the unbelievers who are here today. If you have not placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what are you waiting for? You've heard about it. You've watched your parents or perhaps a grandparent walk with God for so many years. You've seen God be faithful to them. What are you waiting for? If you would reject the false savior, whatever it may be that you're placing your hope in and you are placing your hope in someone or something other than Jesus. If you would repent of that and you would place your faith and your hope in Jesus Christ to save you from God's wrath, we as a church are here to tell you today that we know what you would receive from God. You would receive forgiveness. Will you do that today? Would you consider that? Unbelievers are not the only ones who receive mercy from God. Believers receive mercy from God as well. You and me. Aren't you glad? Every day we receive mercy. When God convicts us of our sin, Perhaps it's a false savior that we've been wrestling with for decades, like Sarah. For decades. Yet God is merciful, and he is patient, and he is loving, and he's drawing, and he's working, 
and he's growing. And someday as God's child, know this, you will be free from worshiping that false savior. You will repent. God will not let that go because he was rich in grace and mercy. Aren't you glad? I'm glad. We ought to rejoice in this. And this is what we receive from the Lord when we turn. I know that sometimes as a child, I remember uh, when I was done something wrong, the last thing I wanted to do was see my dad's face. And perhaps I was tempted to run and hide. But my dad wouldn't let it go. And I would see his face and there would be loving correction but there would also be mercy. There would also be grace. There would also be love. And I would learn a thing or two. Some things not to do ever again. And that's the way it is with God. When we turn and we run to him, what do we find? We find open arms. Are you convicted of holding on to a false savior today? Is there something good in your life that you've been clinging to, not giving up to the Lord? You've been seeking to, to receive happiness from, get your happiness from, maybe your success in life, so forth. You never know. I don't know what's going on in your heart. God does. Would you repent of that today as God's child? Would you consider turning from that so that you can more fully embrace Jesus Christ and place your hope fully in him to take care of that need. The scripture is clear. Sarah is clear in her testimony. Abraham is clear in his testimony. It's painful to do that. It's painful. And yet they would say, right along with scripture, reject false saviors to fully embrace the son of promise, Jesus Christ. Doug, if you'd come at this time. God has more to sh had more to show me in the hospital that night long ago. After I gave up asking for more pain medication, I began listening to some worship music. And during the old worship chorus, Gentle Shepherd, I began meditating on the character of God that doesn't change in the midst of my pain. His kindness, his goodness, his love. And God took that pain away for the rest of that night. He didn't need to take it away to prove his love for me. He already did that through Jesus on the cross. But he did need to show me something. He is God. That's what he needed to show me. He is God. No one and nothing can save as he can. There is no need that God is unable to meet that you have. There is no sickness beyond God's ability to heal that you could ever experience. No problem too powerful for God to fix. No sin God cannot overcome. No enemy that God cannot defeat. There is no other Savior like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has crushed the serpent's head on your behalf and mine. Reject false saviors to fully embrace the Son of Promise, Jesus Christ. And the, in the end, you will not be disappointed. You, like Sarah, shall receive all that God has promised to give, no matter how long you may have to wait. Amen.
For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.